Three things this morning before we begin. First of all, men, as I spoke to the ladies in, in the ladies' gathering a few weeks ago, um, men were busy people. We have a lot on our mind. We also have a tendency to feel guilty when we do the extra things because we have learned about Sabbath. We've learned about taking time for ourselves, taking time with our spouses, our kids, all the above. But because many of us men, our timeline is so tight. But you must understand that when you gather with other men, learning the Word of God, it releases you to great revelation in how to, and I'm going to use a term, it's not really this, but how to perform the duties. A lot of you men understand that, performing the duties, because there's so many hats that you wear. But I want to challenge you men not to allow that to keep you away from the blessing of gathering with other men and uh, the blessing of hearing the Word of God and the blessing of worshiping with men and able to become real, I mean real, real, with your brothers at the tables, as we laugh, as at times there are tears in our eyes. And so I encourage every one of you, if you have not signed up for next week, you need to do that today and uh, do it the first thing you do when you leave the, the sanctuary. Either get on your phone and sign up or go to the table and they will be glad to help you with that. Uh, second of all is I want to remind also every one of us, as the Lord even did that to me, this morning I came in and uh, normally on the 5th I get paid, but it's not the 5th yet, but it's, I checked this morning, it's in my bank, but I forgot my checkbook. So I grabbed all the money that I had in my pocket and um, I, I paid almost my whole tithe today because that's the first thing. But the first thing I'm going to do when I get home is I'm going to grab my checkbook and write out the, the, the amount that I hadn't been able to give this morning. And because this past week, um, I've had all my family in my home. And my daughter and my son-in-law and my other two grandchildren came. And my daughter Jill is here. Can you welcome her? And so I took a little extra time this week just to spend with family, and uh, we, we just had a great time together. But the Holy Spirit reminded me is that in my normalcy of my life, I'm focused, you know, tithe first, giving all the different things because I'm that type A personality. I got things in line. And because I had such joy, I basically forgot. And so the Holy Spirit said, I want you to remind the congregation, don't forget your kingdom lifestyle. You've taken time off. You've, you've done that. Many are out of town. I, I think there, I counted this week, there are people in our church in eight different states right now. And some of them told me they were going to be able to watch us online. So hello, church family online. But the reality is, is sometimes we have a tendency when we take the time off, when we take the Sabbath, when we do that, is we don't realign ourselves back into what we need to do and what Pastor Dan was talking about. So I remind you, the boxes are here to uh, give the tithe, return the tithe, excuse me, return the tithe, and to give your offering, you can go online and do the same. And then third of all, um, I want to remind you of our church prayer that we do every Sunday morning. And you can look in your bulletin, you can go online to our webpage, and I'll give you the number to call, and then the code to put in, uh, plus the number sign at the end of that. And you can wait, and it'll get you online, and we pray together. The men at 8 o'clock in the morning, uh, we pray from 8 until 8.10, and then the whole church prays from 8.30 to 8.40. And then you can hang up and run and quickly get ready for church and, and come and be here 
uh, right there at 10 o'clock or a little bit early to fellowship and also be here for worship because worship is an important time. I also had you stand because I really sense uh, the Holy Spirit really doing something. I was texting someone this morning. I said, I walked in this place and the presence of the Lord was so immense that I had to stop in the sanctuary, stop in the foyer, stop in the main office, and then stop in my office and just rejoice with the Lord of him searching me out. And I can't imagine the joy he had of all of you coming uh, in here this morning and just uh, wanting to worship and, and to get in the word of God and to fellowship with one another. So I want to pray for you, and I also really want to pray for healing today. Um, we're not there yet. We're going to be calling uh, for prayer at times. We're setting up some new avenues of prayer uh, for the sick and for many different areas of your life in our church. We're going to restructure a little bit. We still have elders. We have, uh, you know, all the, the shepherd elders. We're going to have everything gathering together, the prayer table that we have, and we're going to move into an area because God is moving. The Holy Spirit is revealing himself in a greater way, and we're believing for greater miracles in our life and peace. I want you, before we pray, just to say this to yourself. I receive that peace in my life today. Go ahead and do that. Amen. Father, thank you for the Holy Spirit that reveals so much to us in each day in this chaotic world, but in this chaos, we can have absolute peace. I, I just proclaim now in Jesus' name the healing power of God will move. God, our bodies will function and come in line with how you created them to be. Lord, I thank you that uh, the food sources, everything that is there, Lord, even some are, are not eating the foods that they used to because of the prices, because they can't afford what they used to eat. And Father, I thank you in Jesus' name that you will prosper us and be able to afford, even though the world has set up chaos, God, you said it's seed time and harvest, and that has not changed, and you will take care of us in every area. But Father, even in the midst of growing in this area, God, I thank you that our health will be restored, and that as we partake of the foods that we can eat, in Jesus' name, you bless it and remove sickness and disease. And we proclaim that scripture over our bodies in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord an applause. Amen. You may be seated. In our series that we have been teaching on when we encounter God, we have concluded that there are so many stories that come out of these encounters in the Bible. I was going to conclude this series and begin the new one that we're going to begin that will take us up through December called I Am Free and allowing the Spirit of God to teach us how to be free from bondages and things that have held us back the spiritual bondages that are there. Yes, I'm speaking to believers. And sometimes um, wrong doctrine is, is some believers think that you cannot be in bondage. And, uh, but I want to tell you, you can if you don't understand your spiritual authority. And so we're going to cover many areas. We're going to cover psychological things, spiritual things, many different aspects of our lives that many people spend thousands and thousands of dollars a year to learn about. And believe it or not, this is the best textbook of how to bring total healing in your life, in any area of your life. But we're not going to conclude because in my normalcy of reading Scripture, I was reading uh, Scripture about the story of Matthew. 
when Jesus encountered Matthew and Matthew encountered Jesus. And in this story, it is so important because we've talked about the believer. We've talked about how we have received forgiveness and healing and that Jesus has delivered us from condemnation and shame, as Pastor Dan was talking about this morning, is that we can walk in a realm of understanding no matter what our past was. God's Word tells us that when Jesus came and shed his blood and took stripes upon his back, we've been delivered from this, and our future is a great future because God has set it up for us to walk in victory. And these are the things that we've learned from this encounter. But we're going to find out in Matthew's encounter, it literally is a story of God's heart regarding those that are lost those that are not born again, those that their future at this time, the lost people, their future one day, if, if God does not tarry or they pass away, they will be going to hell because of their own choice. But in Matthew's story, it begins to show us about the lost and God's heart towards the lost which, as we learn about it, then we can learn in our heart what our heart needs to be regarding the lost, or let me say it, regarding the world. So Matthew had a face-to-face encounter. Next week, we're going to conclude with the encounter that Moses had with God. So I want to talk about the mentality that goes with the method to lead people to Christ, to lead people to the one who could save them, to bring people to the understanding of a God that loves them in spite of their past, in spite of their past decisions, that God has a place for them in his heart. I have recognized a breakthrough I've been able to experience in many cases Uh, from the grocery store to uh, working out to people calling me, people on the street, people in the courtyard here as I come early in the morning and people are walking in our parking lot for their exercise, been able to lead people to Jesus Christ. There is a move of God, and we need to understand God's heart towards this. Uh, I don't know if you remember a few weeks ago, I ask you, how many of you have led someone to the Lord this past year? And I didn't ask you to raise your hand. I just basically ask, how many of you have done that? There's a tendency that the enemy wants to bring us into a lifestyle of wanting to understand church. Can I say it? Religious things. But really, we're not religious. We have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And and we need to recognize that there's a heart that God has towards, toward the world. Because John 3.16, and I'm going to paraphrase it, just says that Jesus came for the world, that God loved the world. Yeah, he loves us, but he came to the, for the world. And a tendency is we, we have a, uh, you know, in a lot of religious church, is that God is just for his church only. See, God is for the world. He came for the lost so they could return back to him. That's the whole story of Jesus and the cross. All right? So the method to lead people to Christ. So let's, let me say it again. In leading people to Christ, there is a mentality that goes with that method. There is a way we need to think on a daily basis in everything that we do about leading people to the Lord. Turn to Matthew chapter 9, and we want to read from there, and we're going to begin with verse 9. And we're talking again about encounters with Jesus, and they're not meant to be hogged. Let me say that again. Encounters with Jesus are not meant to be hogged. 
Encounters with Jesus are meant to be shared. Your story matters to those around you. Your story, not you want, I want to tell you all about me. No, your story is about your encounter with God and what God did in that encounter in your life. Because we've learned that if you truly encounter and recognize that it's God, there will be change in your life. Let me say it this way. How in the world can you encounter the creator of the universe, the restorer of your salvation, and the healer of your body without a change? It amazes me how so many people can go to church, can read the Bible, can listen to podcasts, can watch Christian TV, and there's no change in their life. Because in all of that, it hasn't been an encounter where they've recognized Christ. So today we will talk about a man named Matthew that did that. Matthew immediately shares his story. And because Matthew immediately shares his story, not really knowing anything about the gospel per se, many became born again. In Matthew 9, verse 9, it says, as Jesus was walking along, he saw, now notice the word saw, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Right away, half of you don't like Matthew. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests. Notice that. Later in the day, Matthew invited Jesus, who is God, and his disciples, who are born again, to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. <laughs> you know, we read that and we just say, oh yeah, okay, okay, okay. The Bible is telling us something here. Let's go on. But when the Pharisees saw this, look at the religious spirit. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum. That's the heart of Satan regarding the world. God's heart regarding the world is love. Satan's heart is that he thinks you're scum. And you believers, he thinks you're more than scum because you remind him of Jesus. When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, speaking to the Pharisees. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices, not do your religious thing. For I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, Pharisees, but those who know they are sinners. So here's my thought. I don't want us in here thinking, Pastor, what are you going to say to me? I, I want you to erase that. What's Pastor going to say after this? I want you to think and look to God and say, God, what are you trying to say to me today? I want you to look to the Lord and say, God, is there something in my own mentality, in my own thinking, in my own righteous way? I'm not, I'm not calling you that, but in my own righteous way, 
How do I think about the world? How do I think about people who sin? How do I think about those people that have done evil when I watch TV, when I watch the news? What is the Holy Spirit saying to you about that? So this message today is literally, especially online, all the lost people. I want to show you God's heart regarding those that are sinners. So this message is about you knowing that the message is for them, the lost. So what is the heart of Jesus? What is Jesus' heart? What is he saying to you and me? So here's the first thing I want to point out. I'm going to point out four things today. Jesus saw Matthew. The first point I want to show you is Jesus saw Matthew. It wasn't just a happenstance. Jesus, out of his heart, was looking for Matthew. Matthew was lost. Jesus was looking for the opportunity to speak to people, to be around people who are lost. In verse 9, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple. There's the heart of God. Jesus said to him, so Matthew got up and followed him. So most people think God is watching over us thinking he's keeping a list of all the bad things that you do. It's amazing to me how many people I meet out in the world when they find out I'm a pastor, that's one of the first things they say. Well, you know what? There are a lot of things that I've done, and I know God probably, you know, your church would probably, this is what I hear a lot, your church, church would probably burn down if I walked in it, thinking that's, that's God's heart towards them, that they're a sinner and they've done wrong, and because of that, they have no hope. Where do they get that idea? Because that never comes from God. They get that idea from the church. Some people, especially people in the church, have still not gotten over that mentality. And sometimes you go to bed, you can't sleep. And the reason why you can't sleep is because you're thinking, God didn't even notice you that day. You've had a bad day and God didn't even notice you. Because you're not perfect and you've had a tough day. And you're just thinking that God has, you know, he's, he's got something to get you, against you. That's why that bad stuff happened. He's just ready to slap you around. And I want to tell you, that's not God's heart. You know where they learn that heart? You know where you learn that heart? You learn it from the church, from religious people. Because God loves you. God loves the world. So God is not keeping a list on you. Matter of fact, let me use this term, God is enamored by you. Now, don't get prideful, don't get cocky with me. God's enamored with you because of Jesus and the work he's done in you through the cross. You are cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ And the Father is enamored with you. If you're ever going to encounter the Father, you need to encounter the Father as one that loves you and is enamored by you through the work of the cross. I hope that begins to peel away at the shame that some of you maybe have been walking with. It's kind of like the story of the thief goes into a house This thief is in the house and it's at night and he's collecting things to steal. And all of a sudden he hears a voice. Jesus is watching. The thief falls on the ground wondering where that came from and he's following the voice saying, Jesus is watching. He's got his flashlight and finally he sees a birdcage and there's a bird inside there and He walks up to the bird, and the bird says again, Jesus is watching you. And so the thief, thinking, he says, is your name Jesus? 
And the bird says, nope, my name is Clarence. And the thief says, what kind of fool would name his bird Clarence? And the bird says, the same kind of fool that named his Rottweiler Jesus. And Jesus is watching you. Now, with all kidding aside, many people think that God's a Rottweiler. That God's watching you in your home. He's watching you at work. He's watching you in your business. He's watching you at play. And he's just looking, a little growling, one lip coming up. I can't believe you. That's not the way God looks at you. God loves you. Go ahead and say that. God loves me. And as your pastor, I'm, I'm wanting you to recognize the reality that Jesus came to erase that list and drop every name the law stuck on you. It was the law that put the list on you. And Jesus fulfilled the ask of the law. Jesus fulfilled that. There's no longer a list that's holding you back. There's no longer a list that's condemning you. The reality of the world, as the world thinks that there's a God like that, because God said, no, I'm going to restore my relationship with you through my love, sending my only begotten son to die for your sin. He took your sin. He took your shame. And now you and I can walk in this peace. And we learned already in this series in Encounters that times we mess up. But 1 John 1, 9, he's faithful and just to forgive us when we confess that sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I know that you know that, but I want you to know that through the love of God. Don't know that through religious circles. You can go to a Bible study and the Word can transform you, but if you don't encounter God reading the Word of God, it will not transform you unless you understand this is God speaking to you. John 3.17 says, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Colossians 2, verse 13 and 14 says, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, in other words, in your past, when you were sinning, when you didn't care about God and you are doing rotten things, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal, there it is, the law, indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away and nailing it to the cross. That's your life today. That's good news. Jesus saw Matthew the same way he sees you. Matthew was in a crowd of people, and you today are in a chaotic world, but Jesus sees you through the chaos because his heart is searching for the lost and blessing his sons and daughters who are saved. Salvation is not just being able to go to heaven. Salvation is a lifestyle. Salvation is a relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So the question then is, how and or why did Jesus see Matthew more than anyone else in that crowd? The answer is, it wasn't because he stumbled on Matthew. It was because he was searching for him. He was looking for him. Do you remember the story in Genesis when, when the Bible says the Holy Spirit was brooding and just kind of, you know, we want to use the term floating around. He wasn't floating around. He, he was there. His presence was there. And the world was in chaos. And then creation began to take place. 
See, the world's in chaos today. But greater is he that's within me than he's in the world. And he can take this chaos and he can straighten things out and make things well. But you must encounter God with this mentality. Having a heart for the lost. Here's the second thing I want to show you. Matthew responds and follows Jesus. Most people think, oh, great, I'm tired of this job. And he just follows Jesus. No, Matthew responds to the call, the encounter, and he follows Jesus to recognize and understand what this was all about. And I want you to recognize is that God at times wants you to stop, get up from what you're doing, and follow what he's saying to you. All right, so let's let's talk about that. Verse 9, follow me and be my disciple. Jesus said to him, so Matthew got up and followed him. Are you a disciple of the Lord? Again, men, men's conference. As you are taught and discipled, it's the action of that decision to follow him like Matthew followed him. For you to say, well, you know, I'm part of Valley Community Church. For you watching online, you want to be a part of that, sign up. But I want to tell you, for you to say you're following Jesus, God has set it up in the church, the vision, the goal of this church for us to be discipled. And if you're not chasing after being discipled, then what's going to happen? Jesus will encounter you, but you won't encounter him and receive what he has for you. And it's not about religious attendance, just another thing as Pastor Dan talked about. It is about you really encountering Jesus and making it a lifestyle, and not only that, bringing the lost with you, bringing your old drinking buddy with you. Of course, none of you ever drank before, right? Yeah, right. I know a lot of your stories. <laughs> Matter of fact, they're, now they're kind of funny. But the reality is you need to understand there are other people that are struggling where you struggled. Now you don't struggle, but do you love the world? Are you loving? And I'm going to explain that. because Some of you are looking at me like, oh, you know, that religious antenna starts beep, 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 sin, run, all the different things. We need to recognize there's something here we need to learn from Matthew. At this time, that Matthew, Jesus said, follow me and be my disciple. Jesus had already gone to four other disciples, uh, other men, and they were chosen, Simon, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. These men shared one thing in common. They were fishermen. Now, in that day and time, fishermen were the lowest of low socially. If you had no trade whatsoever, you could at least fish, all right? So it was looked down upon in that day. Also, Matthew was a tax collector. They are looked at as an absolute heathen, the worst of the worst, worse than the women we talked about in the other encounters, the adulterous woman. Worse than that. They looked down on that more than they looked on that woman. Jesus goes after the morally bankrupt. He goes after them. He looks for them. He looks for the worst of the worst. He looks for the lowest in social climate, saying, there is no one that I won't pursue. And if God brings you in the midst of someone who's morally corrupt, maybe that's God wanting you to help that person encounter Jesus so there could be a 180, so there could be a transformation in their life, leading people to Jesus. Matthew didn't have to follow Jesus. He got to follow Jesus. See, we don't have to go to church. We get to go to church. 
We don't have to pray. We get to pray. We don't have to go to another men's function. We get to go to another men's function. We don't have to go to a women's Bible study. We get to go there. So Matthew wasn't obligated to follow Jesus. He got to follow Jesus. So the question now in this story, why is it that so many look at following Jesus as a religious obligation? They punch the button. I know some of you guys in here told me a story of how you used to uh, go to church, uh, Catholic church, and you'd go to church, but you'd have a case of beer in your trunk. And you'd go do your thing, and then you'd go out and party and get drunk. Why is it that so many look at following Jesus as a religious obligation? We need to start looking at following Jesus not as a religious obligation, but seeing it as a relational opportunity of all time. A relational opportunity of all time. That it is the greatest thing to go to. Some of you who are Disney fans, it's greater than going to Disneyland. It's greater, oh, I know, I know, than going to Dodger Stadium. It's greater than anything in your life is following Jesus. And I know this sounds so simple, but you know me, I keep things simple. But the reality is this is how the enemy brings deception in your life. You're busy, you're parents, you're this, you're that, you're this. You worked overtime. You have to work Sunday afternoon. You know, I'm going to try to do my, if I can get up, I'll go to church. No, you are so excited that the next day is Sunday and you're able to go to church. Thank you for those two amens. Do you have any romance in your relationship with Jesus Christ? See, when I say romance, you're thinking of Hollywood movies and intimacy, raw intimacy with the love, the lover of your life, who loves you more than your spouse could ever love you. I love my wife quite a bit. But the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit love me more than you could ever imagine. Same with you. Is there romance? See, let me just say this. My wife and I have done a lot of marriage conferences and marriage counseling, biblical advice in marriage. And you know what happens in a lot of marriages? You lose romance. I'm not just talking about sex. You lose the romance. There are times I'm busy all, day, all week long, got stuff going on, morning, noon, and night, and then, you know, and then it's all of a sudden it's like, honey, we're going to go, and we spend two or three hours, and those two or three hours, we go somewhere, we do something, and it's romance. And it's not like flowers and music and someone walks up, you know, and starts playing the violin, you know, that type of, you know, never mind, I won't go there. But the reality, the romance is there. Do you have that with God? Do you have those intimate times with God? Or have you lost romance? You've known the Lord 30, 40, 50 years, and you've lost romance with God. It's kind of like, oh, it's time. You know, even, you know, some of us who, who journal every day and get in the Word of God every day, you know, it's like, oh, oh, where? Oh, I forgot, I got to get in. No, no, no. I got, you know, I got to get. No, it's I get to spend that 5, 10, 15 minutes with the Lord, half hour, hour. Because why? It's romantic. There's romance. There's intimacy with God. If we don't have this intimacy with Jesus Christ, all we have is a religious obligation to 
Jesus Christ. Did you know Jesus wants to hold your hand? I love it that my wife and I, you know, we're going somewhere. We're busy going to the store and trying to get stuff. I'm helping her with children's ministry. She's helping me do something. And uh, I'm walking towards the door, and all of a sudden, she grabs my hand. Now, it's like that. Oh, yeah. My girl's got my hand, right? And then 30 seconds later, we open the door of the store, and then she's gone. But I had that 30 seconds. It's still real to me, okay? And that's what I'm saying. It must still be real to you. And how you lose it is you lose the heart of God towards the world. See, I'm trying to, I'm trying to get you out of I'm trying to get you to be disciple, get in the Word of God, do all these things that are right, that will create and build up your relationship with God, but I'm trying to get out of the, the religious deception that says you gotta and get you into the place where, you know, this is really real. The four fishermen could go back to fish. It was a decision. Matthew's decision. Matthew couldn't go back to being a tax collector because you know how the tax collectors in those days got paid? They cheated people. They charged them more. They made them pay more when they shouldn't have paid. And so that's how they got their money. That's how they became rich. And because he became born again, that had to change in his life, and it did change. He couldn't go back. So it was a decision that he made. He couldn't go back to his past. Why would a man drop everything to follow Jesus? I believe this is the absolute answer in my spirit as I was studying this. When Jesus walked up and looked at Matthew in the eye, Matthew saw more love in Jesus' eyes than he's ever seen in his life in any other human being. When Matthew encountered Jesus, he encountered this love. He encountered this relationship. It was kind of like love at first sight. Romance. Matthew saw so much love, he thought, I got to share this love also. So here's my third point. Matthew's friends met Jesus in the story. In his encounter with Jesus, notice it, it continued. He got up, he followed Jesus, and he invited all his friends to his home to meet Jesus. He shared his encounter. <clears throat> Verse 10, later Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. So let me describe to you Matthew's strategy of leading people to Christ. What was Matthew's strategy? Here's first. Matthew refused to be a Pharisee. He refused to be religious. Verse 11. The proud religious law keepers saw this. They said to the followers of Jesus, Why does your teacher eat with men who gather taxes and with sinners? You know, New King James called them scum. Nice, huh? The Pharisees got confused thinking you become filthy when you're in contact with the filthy. I call this a religious isolationism. We isolate ourselves. We, you know, I, I've, I've beaten this sin in my life, and I, I just can't be around this. I can't be around that. Yeah, you can when you know the love of God. If you're doing it just as a religious obligation of not doing this or not doing that, you're going to still have problems with the knots until you realize it is romance. It's love at first sight. It's loving Jesus. It's Jesus loving you and you walking with him. And just like uh, Scripture talks about being a one-woman man, that's what I am with my wife. I am not at all. I have zero desire for any other woman except the woman I married. 
And that is exactly how we need to be with Jesus. But we can be around the world. We can be around sin. We can be around that at work, you know, in the store, whatever it is. But it doesn't have to draw us away because we know the love of the Father and we're so in love with Jesus, we don't have a problem being around sinners. I go play golf and there are people that, you know, use every word in the book that tell dirty jokes and at times I'll walk away, you know, because I don't want to hear stuff, you know, in that area. But the reality is I'm not saying, I'm a Christian. Don't talk like that. Sinners sin. That's who they are. But you know what I find out after a while is that I'm around them, even if they don't know that I'm a pastor, shakes them up when they find out. I should bet them money then because they can't play good golf. They're always thinking about me. But (laughs) the the reality is this. Now, Now listen very closely. It's because of the love of God that's in me that I don't offend them by my religious right. Listen closely. We've already talked about this. As Jesus, remember, says, no one condemns you, but go and sin no more. I don't walk in sin. I don't walk in a lifestyle of sin. I abhor sin. I abhor these things. I despise this stuff, the sin, but I love the sinner. And that's what we are learning in all these encounters with God, Old Testament, New Testament, is that in encounters with God, you begin to walk with the heart of God and you begin to love people and you're not judging people, you are loving people. Hmm. It's popular in many churches, isolationism. Religious isolationism is a works-based philosophy that if I don't touch dirty, I will remain clean. Here's a news flash. <laughs> the only reason we are clean is because of the blood of Jesus, the Lamb of God. That's the only reason. The Pharisees stood outside and said, I can't go in, they're dirty. It was scandalous for them, for Jesus to be with them. The Pharisees sat outside this party uh, that Matthew threw for his lost friends. The Pharisees separated themselves saying, we will get dirty if we touch the dirt. And Jesus was at the party really excited, thinking how clean everyone would be by the end of the meal because they would encounter the one that could make them clean. The Pharisees wanted everyone to change, but they didn't want to be around them. They hated them. They despised the people because they weren't like them. But Jesus came to the earth to bring change through relationship and intimacy. Relationship and intimacy. Let's say this about this pharisaical spirit. There are two reasons we can fall into this religious spirit. The first is misinterpreted Scripture, where we study Scripture and we misinterpret it. Second, misunderstood wisdom. Let me show you. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, we misunderstand this Scripture. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the Father's love is not in him. That scripture doesn't say, do not love the people of the world. It says, do not love the world or things in the world. First, how about this one? I hear this all the time from Christians. 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Bad company corrupts good character. We think... It says, good people don't hang out with bad people. That's what we think it says. Let's read it again. Bad company corrupts good character. 
1 Corinthians 15, 32, and 33, let's look at the context of the Scripture. As men look at it, as men look at it, what good has it done for me in the city of Ephesus to fight with men who act like wild animals? If the dead are not raised, we might as well be like those who say, in other words, if what we believe is really not true, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Let's just party until we... Okay? Do not let anyone fool you. Bad people can make those who want to live good become bad. Can make those. Keep your minds awake. Stop sinning. Some do not know God at all. I say this to your shame. He's talking to the believer. And he's telling the believer, listen, you are despising the people. You are hating the people. I want you to understand, there are bad people that want you to do bad things. They want you to hang out with them so you'll be like them. But wake up. What's going on here? And he says, but let me tell you, some of you are living this religious lifestyle and it's shameful. That you're blaming the people when it's literally you're not encountering me. You're not with me. And you're running around trying to be this religious guru this religious Pharisee, he's not talking to us here, right? Yeah, he's talking to the believers. And he's saying we need to wake up and understand this reality. So let us know all people do bad things at one time or another. They were arguing the scripture and some said, oh, well, all will end, so just party. So let me tell you uh, what Paul was explaining. There are some people that will work hard to get you to do bad things with them. They don't care about you and your faith. They work hard and are used of the enemy to corrupt you. Don't hang around those type of people. Love them, but walk away from that temptation. Walk away from that. Know the people you love them, but walk away from that when they say that. No. Amen. That's why I'm saying sometimes on the golf course, they'll be telling stories. So I walk away and literally shut my mind down so I don't listen to what they're saying in the dirty joke. You say, well, Pastor, that's kind of prude. You know, I just go and I. No, it's not prude. It's a decision that I've made to stay faithful to the lover of my life. And his name is Jesus. Stay faithful. Jesus is not saying don't minister to them, but he's saying don't follow into their lifestyle. Again, here it is. I've said it the last three weeks. Don't be surprised that sinners sin. God is not judging them and hating them. Paul got frustrated at one point and wrote this. Look at this, verse 9. When I wrote to you before, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. But I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin or are greedy or cheat people or worship idols you would have to leave this world to avoid people like that. If you're going to avoid sin, you're going to have to die and go to heaven. I meant that you are not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer yet indulges in sexual sin or is greedy or worship idols or is abusive or is a drunkard or cheats people. Don't even eat with such people. That has happened twice in 43 years of my ministry. Doesn't happen often. 
that I've literally had to disassociate with people. And I've had to sit sit down with them and say, I love you. I've worked with you. I've talked with you. I've pleaded with you. But your lifestyle is a lifestyle that I cannot be around. So I am stepping away and allowing the Lord to work with you himself. Twice, 43 years. I've met thousands and tens of thousands of people. All right? Speaks of the believer. Christianity is not about who we get away from. Let me say it again. Christianity is not about who we get away from, but who we stay close to. Does that make sense? Matthew understood Jesus and his word about the world. Here's the second strategy. He filled the foyer with sick people. I'm listening to the Holy Spirit. He wants me to explain that. Remember we talked about how only 5% of churches in America grow because of people getting born again? Those churches fill their foyers with sick people. They bring their sick. And when I'm talking about sick, I'm talking about spiritually sick too. Those who don't know Jesus. And a lot of times you'll, you'll go places and, and you'll minister and you'll minister the gospel and you'll call for someone to get born again. And the only people that raise their hand are people that have gotten born again 10 times. They're, they're part of the church. They're already born again. It's because we're not ministering to the lost. We're not bringing the lost to church. We're not going the extra mile to bring the lost. Now, you can bring them to the Lord in your house or in the neighborhood or at work. But the reality is, is when we, and we're going to do this, we're going to see this this fall, is that we're going to begin to move in a realm of salvation and and call that out. And it's not the job of the shepherd to beget the sheep. It's the job of the sheep who beget the sheep. And when we see this, we're going to learn how to love the lost. And you've got to love the lost and hate the sin. Verse 12, when Jesus heard that, he said to them, those who are well have no need of physician, but those who are sick. So when you go to work, when you, you go to the games of your kids, you are around the lost and sick people, spiritual sickness. Love them. If all the people I love, love Jesus, listen to this, then I don't love enough people and then I don't understand the love of Christ. And you know I love you. I love this church. I love the people. But if all the people I love love Jesus, then I don't love enough people. People are having affairs. People steal and cheat. People cuss. They tell dirty jokes. Love them and throw a love party for your messed up friend so they can see Jesus. Amen. I've had people in my home. They've slept in my home. And here it is in the bottom of the invitation. Bring your own Diet Coke. Not bring your own beer. Because you're in my home You know, I don't just associate with their sin. I associate with them. Luke 19.10, Jesus said, For the Son of Man came to look for and to save from the punishment of sin those who are lost. That's the heart of God. So here's last, the fourth part of Matthew's mentality. He led them to more than a decision. Listen to that. He led them to more than a decision. 
Evangelism is not just about the decision for Christ. It is about a Savior and a relationship with Jesus Christ. Here's the example I want to show you. Someone said to you this, the key to marriage is to have a good wedding. Ladies, how would that work for you? All right? The husband says, I'm going to be the best husband for you. I'll give you the best wedding you would ever dream of, better than Cinderella's. Then I'll just check out. You wouldn't like that, would you? Don't just focus on a decision and remove the relationship component. Matthew knew if I could just get the lost to an encounter with Jesus, it will change them forever. Because he knew I was changed. I was changed so they could be changed too. Doesn't matter where you're at. Doesn't matter what bondage they have. Doesn't matter. What matters is there's power in the blood of Jesus that can change them but it takes relationship. And if we don't show relationship to them, how do they know a God of relationship? Amen? We don't need a watered-down gospel. We need a face-to-face encounter with Jesus. Like Matthew, introduce them to Jesus. Too many people are focused on just the decision. The decision's good, which is needed. But Jesus wants you to hold your hand the rest of your life. Jesus wants you, and he wants to hold your hand the rest of your life. Wherever you go, you got the lover of your life with you. You're walking with him. You're talking to him. But here it is. The heart of God is for God so loved the world, the people, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever, whosoever, would believe in him shall have everlasting life. Do you want your family members to know Jesus? Love the family, hate the sin. Do you want your coworkers to know Jesus? Love your coworkers, hate the sin. Let's all stand. I want to pray for you. <clears throat> if you're here and your spouse is next to you, I would love for you to hold their hand. Couples, I'm sending you out as Jesus sent them out as twos. You're going to go out as a couple. And you're going to minister the gospel of Jesus Christ. Wherever you go, there's going to be an anointing on you. Because I'm proclaiming that over you. Because I understand by seeing the Spirit of the Lord, I know you both have encountered Jesus. To all of you that your spouse is not here, to all of you that are not married, you are not lesser than. You're loved just as much. I'm sending you out as individuals. I'm sending you out as brothers and sisters. That sometimes you grab a sister of yours and you go and you you become that person that loves the world. I'm not telling you, you know, I was talking to someone about this about three years ago after a conference that I taught. And they said, well, you think that we need to go to strip joint and do that? I'm not even going to answer that. But you know the people who go, and you take them out to dinner, or you spend time with them at work, and you share the love of God. They're not going to need that when they have the lover of their life holding their hand every day. Bondages can be broken, but it takes an encounter with Jesus. That's what it takes. So I'm going to send all you out. And we're going to see, we're going to be part of that 5% at Valley. 
We're going to be part of that 5%. And it's not about come to a concert, come to a women's thing, come to a men's thing. That's part of it. Come to me and let me show you Jesus. That's what it's all about. Father, in Jesus' name, I proclaim a blessing over this church family, all those listening online, all around, the churches that are watching this later on, in Jesus' name, I proclaim the power of God. I release them to have authority over the enemy, have authority over any thing that would bring bondage unto men and women. And Lord, I bind that up and I proclaim our families will become whole. They will become saved and born again and understand by encountering Jesus the love of the Father and the leading of the Holy Spirit. Father, I thank you, our co-workers. Lord, there will be promotion in our life. There will be such peace in our life because we walk with the heart of God and we're not demeaning anymore to the world. In Jesus' name, it is a done deal. Lord, thank you for the hundreds and even thousands of people that will come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ because we tell our story to those around us. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Praise the Lord. God bless you. Men, sign up for the men's conference.